Wow. Happy New Year. <laughs> I guess we did, we did actually have a service in this auditorium on the first Sunday of the new year, Sunday, January 3rd. We gathered together, celebrated the Lord's Supper, and we're going to do that again today. Uh, but then, of course, um, we, uh, we've been out since that. So we're glad that you're here and that you didn't worry about the snow and uh, that you're with us this morning. It's great to see you all. We are so excited. People were asking yesterday, what about the snow tomorrow? I'm like, well, <laughs> what about the snow tomorrow? I don't care about the snow tomorrow. <laughs> we're we're going to be here. I knew that Scott and Paul and she hung and, and our tech guys would be here. So we're, we're going to do our thing one way or the other. So you know what? If we have one other person in the auditorium, we're going for it. So it's great to have you here and that the snow didn't keep you away. Praise God. Let me just share quickly a couple of uh, updates on uh, prayer needs for you. Um, as you should have seen by now uh, or heard through our emails, our text messaging, uh, Joe Rinaldi went home to be with the Lord this past Thursday morning and uh, around noontime. And uh, so you be praying for Lynn and their son Joseph uh, during this time. Those are Hard times. I was talking to Lynn just uh, yesterday, and she's talking about how it seems like it's just not real, and it, and it's like a dream, kind of what happened. And so, be praying uh, for them as they begin a new um, time of life uh, without a husband and dad there. Be praying for them, Terry Stadnick. Uh, fell at home, was in the hospital a Friday night, is back home, came home yesterday, and um, so continue to pray for Terry as he recovers. Alan, did I just see Alan there? Was a figment on my imagination. Uh, anyway, I thought he was, okay, uh, was a great help in caring for Terry, so be praying for him. And we, we missed this online a couple weeks ago, but Lee Clewer, uh came home about two weeks ago, and uh, what, uh, I mean, yes, what an answer to prayer. That's just, man, amazing, and uh, so you continue to pray for Lee and his recovery, and of course, his wife, Colleen. Um, well, you remember how we began, how Paul began uh, the section on division. We've started to study together in 1 Corinthians. It seems like ages ago, but uh, here we are the first Sunday of February, and we're still in chapter 1. But as we talked about that, we were last week in verses 10 to 17, and Paul began. That's, that's beyond the introduction. And Paul began to deal with the first problem issue in the church. That of division. And Paul takes the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians to talk about division. And uh, we might think that division would be one of the lesser sins. If you've been reading, and I hope you have already through 1 Corinthians, I hope you've taken the time 
to read it all in one sitting so you get the flow. And it really does flow. When you read the whole letter as one together, you, it just keeps moving and, it, and, it, and it's just a natural thing. Uh, as Paul shares all of what his concerns are with the church at Corinth. And division, though it's the first one, and, and we know what else is in the letter of 1 Corinthians, we might think, oh, he's taking the easy ones first. Folks, absolutely not. Division probably is every bit as serious, if not more serious, than any of the other sins that he lists and that he deals with. It is critical to God's church being able to function as God intended the church to function. Division tears churches apart. And we need to understand all of what that means. And as Paul deals with it, I mean, we, we began. So last week we looked at it as he started in verse 10. And he talked to the church at Corinth. And he says, you need to agree with one another in what you say. That's critical. That's hard. Folks, none of this stuff is easy. I mean, if we're going through this letter together and think that it's just, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to buy right into that. <laughs> it's, I hope it's like that. The Spirit of God moves your heart. But to agree with one another in what you say, and there were some specific things about that, but certainly that has to do with a whole lot of things that Paul was talking about throughout the letter that he wrote. And then he talks about this. He moves on and he says, uh, the divisions among you. He said that there should be no divisions among you. And then he talks about the need to be perfectly united or perfectly joined together. And then he gets into verse 11 and he says, listen, you're quarreling with one another. It's, you, that can't be. That's not how God's people ought to be acting towards one another. That doesn't have a place in the church. The church was not healthy. They lacked agreement. They were divided. They were at odds with one another. Disunity ruled the day in the church at Corinth. And that's why Paul begins with this important section on dealing with division. And uh, if they couldn't agree together, and that's what Paul said, agree with one another in what you say. But if they couldn't do that, they would never be able to solve the whole list of problems that we will get to as we study through. If they can't agree, if they can't get over the division, if they can't stop quarreling with one another, they're going to have a real difficult time solving all of the other issues that they're dealing with. And... Even their time together around the Lord's Supper, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, would continue to do, get this folks, more harm than good. I mean, how would you feel if, if somebody was sitting with us, with you today? You brought a friend, and, and, and they were here this morning, and they sat through our time together as we observe the Lord's Supper, as we take the bread and the cup, and, and, and when you left, you're driving home with them, uh, you say, well, what'd you think? How did it go? I mean, you were there all morning with us, and, 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 and your friend says to you, well, I don't know, but it sure seemed to do more harm than good. <laughs> what? 
That's what Paul said to the believers in Corinth about the way they observed the Lord's Supper. They were divided at that point. And that's why it's critical that we get a grip, that we get a handle on this material as Paul's talking in these first four chapters of the letter. Um, The Corinthian church had to learn that there is only one message that can make us one and keep us one. There is only one message that can make us one and keep us one. That's critical that we grab hold of that. And I continue to be not surprised, but, but amazed and, and wondering, man, Paul, aren't there other more practical things that you could have said about dealing with division? But, but absolutely not. The most important, the most practical thing that Paul could say to the church was the message of the cross. And that's what we're going to talk about today because that's what Paul talks about as the solution to the division and the disagreement that was existing in the church there at Corinth. So please open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. And if you didn't get that statement, the, the, there is only one message that can make us one and keep us one, and we're going to talk about that. But in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 18 or chapter 1, excuse me, and verse 18. In fact, we're going to back up a little bit into verse 17, which is where we ended last week. And in verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is what we read. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. If you remember, he, he wanted to make sure that with the division that was taking place amongst the people who were siding with various teachers and leaders, Paul, Apollos, Peter, even Christ, and there was division over who they would follow and who was their favorite and whatever those issues really were, the whole point, Paul says, and, and, and I'm glad I didn't baptize any more than I did because Sometimes people who I baptize would would be following me and not following somebody else. And I'm glad that that's not true. Only a few. But he says, I didn't come to baptize, verse 17, but to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence. In other words, he wasn't claiming to be the greatest speaker in all the world. He didn't have all of the oratorical skill that a lot of the philosophers and teachers of the law had there in Corinth and that they were used to that had happened there in the church in Athens and that's what was going on is in and all of what was happening with the teaching there he says that's not what it's about it's preaching the gospel and that's all I'm going to do lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power If you're wowed by my preaching skills, Paul's saying, then you're liable to miss the power of the cross of Christ. Now, it didn't mean that Paul didn't know what he's talking about. It didn't mean that, that, remember now, Paul wasn't tearing apart the Bible. He wasn't looking verse by verse, word by word. He was writing. (laughs) He was the guy writing. Now, he had no idea at that point. That, that he was writing parts of what we today call the Bible. He was writing a letter to the church in Corinth that became an inspired part of God's Word. 
But his concern as he preached was just that he communicate the power of the cross of Christ, that he preached the gospel. Have you ever felt when you're trying to share Christ with some a friend, a relative, a neighbor, somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ, that you need something more powerful, that you need to be able to have some great argument, some, some great message or a way of saying in order to convince them that they need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever looked? There's got to be more. I, I, what else can I say? And wondered, is man, the cross of Christ, the gospel, it just seems like there needs to be more. Well, there's not more. And that's what Paul is saying. Because he, then he goes to verse 18. For the message, or the word, but the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, there are two groups of people. And, and there's a lot of ways we could use that. We could say Jews and Gentiles. You'll see those two groups. You're either a Jew or you're not. Jews and Gentiles. Many times Paul's used the words Greek. Greek and Gentiles are interchangeable there in, in Paul's letter as he's writing. So when he's writing about the Greeks or the Gentiles, he's writing about the same. But here he's writing about two groups, and he says this. You're in one of two groups. You're either those who think that the preaching of the cross is foolishness, and you are therefore perishing. You are on your way to spiritual destruction. You are under the wrath of God. And if you don't accept the power of the gospel, the message of the cross... You will end up in hell one day. That's one group of people. He said the, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are parent, perishing. But he said there's another group. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To us who are being saved, that's, yes, literally who are saved. But Paul continues, as we've talked about, declared to be holy but still called to live holy lives. It's that sanctification process. It's that becoming holy process. We've been declared to be holy. We stand before God as holy individuals set apart unto God, but we need to continue to live our lives and become more like Jesus, more holy. Well, that's what he's talking about. And to us who are saved, it is the power of God. Now look at verse 19 as he goes on, and, and he talks about those, uh, this group of people who are perishing, who view the message of the cross as foolishness. Verse 19, for it is written, he's quoting Old Testament verses here. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. But that's what he's doing right here as well in Corinth. And he goes on, verse 20, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? All of the wisdom, all of the intelligence, 
all of the wise people, all of the teachers of the law. You could read scribes. You remember, if you've ever read through the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, you hear about the scribes and Pharisees, the teachers of the law. That's who we're talking about here. Also, the, the philosophers, all that the world offers, it offers in its effort to know God. They would say in their effort to understand the world, life and death and, and the universe and all that's going on and, and all of what the world says we need to understand life and to come to know God. He says, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. It doesn't work. That's what he says there in verse 21. He says, has not, or excuse me, verse 20. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, here it is, verse 21, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. All of what the world was trying to do to make sense of life and to get to know God in all of their attempts, they did not come to know God. All that the world has to offer, it doesn't work. You've heard us talk about the world. What do we mean? What is, what, what is Paul talking about there? You see, the world has never worked. It never will work. But what are we talking about? Well, I could go on and on, but let me give you one quote. John MacArthur says, the invisible spiritual system of evil. This is what the world is. The invisible spiritual system of evil dominated by Satan and all that it offers in opposition to God, in opposition to his word, and in opposition to his people. That's the world, the invisible spiritual system of evil that stands in complete opposition to God, his word, his people, all of what God is intending to do. And it is the world that the devil will seek to use to pull unbelievers further away from God, to keep them from gaining truth. And it is also what the devil will use to help to confuse believers, to keep believers from being all out, to keep believers from becoming more holy, more sanctified. That's the world system. And Paul says it doesn't work. In the world through its wisdom did not know him, did not know God. Verse 21, but God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So what was preached or what was proclaimed? Well, look at verse 22 as we move on through the text. It, it, it's, it's not just the preaching, but it's what was preached. All right? So it, the content matters. So as we look at verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. And if you studied through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you read through the book of Acts, you'd find out the Jews always wanted to see a sign. They always wanted to see some dramatic, powerful display, a miracle. 
They, they wanted the disciples or they wanted Jesus to prove himself and do that. The Jews demand signs. The Greeks look for wisdom. They, they wanted a well-thought-out, well-articulated philosophy of life, a worldview that would make sense of life, of death, and of our place in this universe. That's what the Greeks wanted. The Gentiles wanted. They wanted an oratorically powerful presentation in order for them to buy into it. But look at verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, Paul says. A stumbling block to the Jews. That word is literally a scandal. A scandal. Scandals in the newspapers and on the television news used to be big deal. I think everything is a scandal now, it seems like, <laughs> right? I mean, everything that happens, we're just like, I think we're, wow, we don't even respond anymore to the stuff that's going on. It's all a mess, right? And, and that's what's happening. But the scandal that the Jews, a stumbling block, was the cross of Christ for that message to be the way to God? I mean, you got to be kidding. The cross to the Jew, the cross was a picture of shame. The cross was a picture of weakness, of failure, of horror. Paul had said in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 that cursed be the one who is hung on a cross or on a tree. That's how the Jews viewed it. That's why this can't be our Messiah. This can't, this is, we can't understand this. What a, what a stumbling block. And it's foolishness to the Gentiles. The foolish, the Gentiles would look at the crucifixion or the cross as, first of all, something for only non-Roman citizens. Roman citizens couldn't be crucified. They would look at it as well as only something that slaves and criminals and murderers endure. How could you say that the Savior, the Messiah, the deliverer of the world goes to the cross? you got to be kidding. That's absurd. That's why the Jews and the Greeks didn't get it. But remember back to verse 18. For the message of the cross to us who are being saved is the power of God. Jesus died. He was crucified. That's what Paul just got done saying, right? We preach Christ crucified. Crucified. We say the gospel. Jesus died. He was crucified in my place on the cross for my sins the power of God's forgiveness. He paid our debt and forgave our sin and saved us. That's the message of the cross. The gospel. The power of God. And that is what Paul is saying is the key to unity in the church. That is how we agree to say the same thing. We say the same thing about the message of the cross, about Christ crucified, about the gospel, about the power of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, you may have memorized this. That I, John, I'm guessing that's got to be in a verse. Yep, Romans 1, 16. Which, by the way, folks, 
back at it last Wednesday night, along with our middle school and high school youth ministry. Woohoo! Right, Sheehan? Yeah! We're back meeting. But here it is, verse 16, Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. The gospel, the power of God for salvation to all all, all who believe, the Jew and the Gentile. That's everybody. Huh? Are you there, folks? Do we need anything else? Do we need any other? Uh, apologetics is a great thing, folks, but you can win an argument, and that doesn't mean the person who gets it is, and, and says, okay, you're right, doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Because it's not winning arguments and apologetics, please don't get me wrong, is critical, it's important, it's a great thing. But that's not what saves people. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that saves people. That is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And then we look at verses 26 to 30. Brothers and sisters... Think of what you were when you were called. Called to salvation. Think of what you were before you were saved. Now maybe you were saved at a very early age and you have no idea what you were before. I was saved at the age of four. Absolutely. Never struggled with doubts of my salvation. But I didn't know a whole lot about life before that, you know. <laughs> it just. But I know now what... That could be. If you were saved later in life, think of what you were, Paul says, when you were called, when you came to know Jesus Christ. Think what was true about you, what was true about all of us, and that we now know, whether you're old enough or not, we were sinners bound for hell under the wrath of God. That's what we were when we were called. And then Paul goes on and he's talking about our position in life. He says, not many of you. Now, place this in the city of Corinth, folks. He's talking to the Corinthian believers. He's saying to them, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. You didn't have that political power. You didn't have all of the education of the philosophers of the day. Not many of you were of noble birth. You weren't born into a special position in life, which would mean great value social, or, uh, um, economically. And then he says, verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world. And I want you to see in this three times here. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the second time the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God chose us. Think of what we were before God called us, brought us to salvation. God chose the things in our lives. God chose 
God chose. God chose. You think God has anything to do with salvation, being right with God? Everything. That's exactly right, Debbie. Why is that so important? Paul, again, the flow is amazing. Verse 29, so that no one may boast before him. God did it all. What we just heard, everything. Why? So that no one may boast before him. You see, we're prone as human beings. If we can take credit for something, <laughs> we're going to take credit for something, huh? Right? God chose, God called, he did it all so that no one could boast before him. That's what Paul says. Verse, and then he goes on. Verse 30. It is because of him. Paul's driving this point home, isn't he? God, what you were before God called you to salvation, then God chose all these things. He chose this, he chose that, and here it is. He did that so that no one would boast because salvation and all of life is about him. And then verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Because of who? Who's the him? God! As you read through that, you see, God did this. God chose, God chose, and it is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes, we've already seen that in here, power to those who believe, the power of God for salvation to those who believe, whoever believes in Him who? Jesus Christ will not perish. We already talked about the message of the cross being foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who believe we will not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Folks, that's the gospel. That's the message of the cross. And Paul's saying, that's what makes us one. Paul didn't say any weren't wise or any didn't have influence or any didn't have money and noble birth. He just said, not many. But we're talking about all people who have come to know Christ. God chose us. It is because of him that we are in Christ Jesus who has become for us, who has he, Jesus, has become our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. Simply put, salvation is what he's talking about. All of those words we talked about already being declared righteous. We talked about already being set apart as holy, sanctified, we, redemption, being bought having the ransom paid, a price paid for our salvation, Jesus' blood on the cross. So he's talking about our salvation.
So what do we need to do with all of that? With, with the message of the cross. So what do we need to do? Well, we remember God chose us. Three times it says that. Two other times it talks about how he called us. We see that it was all of him, right? Because of him. So that we can't boast. Why? That's what we saw. So that no one may boast. Look at what God did for us. Folks, you want to know how this is an answer to the need for unity in the church? It's real simple. When we look at what God did for us, our salvation, how can we not stand together as one? Think of what you were before you were saved. God did it all. All that we have is of God. How can we not stand together? You see, when we disagree, when we argue, when we quarrel, you know what we actually do? Whether we realize it at the moment or not, we set ourselves up as the authority. We set ourselves up as the expert. We set ourselves up as the one who is right. We argue our position, we're right, everyone else is wrong. That makes us better. How can we claim that? We didn't do a thing to come to know God. He did it all. It is because of him so that we can't boast. He has made us one in him. We must live out that holiness. We've been declared holy. Now we must live it out. We've been set apart unto God through our salvation in Christ. That's what Paul says. We've been transformed. We've been made one. Read through the book of Galatians and see how that we've been made one together. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. We are all one. Jew or Gentile, we are one. And so what do we do? We are to boast in the Lord. We are to focus all of our attention, all of our energy, all of our effort on God. Boast in God. Give God glory. Talk about God. We, we, we make that difficult sometimes. How do we give glory? How do we boast about? I love the way it's said there because when we boast about God, you understand what that is. Pick your favorite athlete. Super Bowl day, right? Pick your favorite musician. Pick your favorite politician. Pick your favorite relative. Pick your favorite person in all the world, whoever that may be. And when you want to brag about that person, boast about that person, you're glorifying them. You're giving them glory. You can't not talk about them. You can't help it. That's what it means to boast in God. Verse 31, that's what Paul says. Verse 31 Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There it is. 
And when we're boasting in God and all that he's done and who he is and, and, and the power of God to forgive our sin and to bring salvation into our lives, how do we find time to quarrel and divide and, and not be united together? You see, because when we're focused on the message of the cross, we're focused on the mission of God to go make disciples of all nations. That's the unifying message of the cross for the church. And when we focus on the message of the cross, we don't have time for anything else. Now, we could come up with all kinds of other things about what's necessary to gain unity. Do this, don't do that, try this, don't try that. Stop doing this, keep doing that. Start doing something, right? We could come up with all kinds of issues that we think would, would bring unity. But that's not what Paul says. He says, I'm going to proclaim Christ crucified, the message of the cross, the gospel. Because that will get us on the same page, focused on the mission that he's left for us as the church to reach this world, to make disciples of all nations. Wow. So what we need to do as we segue, segue right into our Lord's Supper time together is 2 Corinthians. I've shown this before. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Now, this is not the same examination that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's not, not the same. I'll get to that in a minute. But as it relates to if we're struggling with unity, if we're struggling to agree to say the same thing, if we're struggling to be on the same page to not be divided, to not be quarreling. We need to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe we've never been united around the gospel. Maybe we think we know Jesus and we don't. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. This is 2 Corinthians. This is Paul's second letter, actually fourth letter, but if you saw the introductory stuff, but the second letter in Scripture to the church at Corinth, test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. It's a hypothetical question. The assumption, the answer is, of course He's in you. If you're part of the church, you say you know Jesus, He has to be in you. And if He's in you, we have to be one together. Because it's the message of the cross that's united us. Now, what a great way for us to move into the celebration of Christ's death on the cross. We've been talking about the message of the cross. And now we're going to do, we're going to partake together, together of the Lord's Supper. The bread and the cup that represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the message of the cross. Christ crucified. 
Jesus went to the cross so that you and I could have our sins forgiven and be given eternal life. Not perish, but have eternal life. Paul does say in the first letter to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, before you partake to examine yourselves. Verse 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And you know in the context what he's talking about? I know if you've been here during our communion, you've heard this before, but he's talking about those who were divisive. He's saying to them, examine yourselves. These are the, the, the Corinthian believers who he says, hey, your meetings are doing more harm than good. When you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And Paul is saying, examine yourselves to make sure you're not the divisive one. That you're not doing the things that divide the church. That's what he's talking about when he says examine yourselves. Yourselves. 